We're in a series called Check Yourself. Have you checked yourself in the last seven days? Are you working through it? You got another two weeks? Really another week because this week, you know, three, three chapters, three weeks. Uh, I'm actually going to jump right into it today and, and you'll see why in a minute. I want to read, uh, we'll be in Titus 2. We're going to cover 1 through 10, but I want to read Titus 2, 1 first. Or at least, uh, yeah, I think that's all of it. Yeah, part of it. Uh, But as for you, (laughs) online message will be available. No, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, we know that that this book is a letter, and who is it written to? Titus. Great, great. Off to a great start. Uh, should have looked at the review sheet, guys. All right. It's written to Titus. And what is Titus's role? What does Titus do in the world in this time? He church plants. He plants churches, which is great. We have a lot in common with him. You're all church planners. Did you know that? This is a church planning conference this morning. Welcome. You laughing? Not funny. You're to multiply. Go and make disciples. Plant churches that do what? Plant churches. And so that's why this is so emphatic for us when Paul says to Titus, but as for you. Now we know that's to Titus, but everyone else here is also reading it and they put it in the Bible. So it must also be for who? Me, the us's in the room. Now what are they to do? Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here's what I've noticed. Everyone else is teaching what is wrong. Have you ever noticed that? Everyone else teaches what's wrong. And that yields ungodliness. We talked about that last week. We saw that. Paul is saying, you ready? Ready for this big scholarly note? You don't have to do that. Just because everyone else is teaching everything wrong doesn't mean you have to teach everything that is wrong. You are to teach the opposite of what is wrong, which is what? What is right. That's right. What accords with sound doctrine? In my notes, it's in all caps. It's on purpose because I'm yelling, right? I'm emphatic. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. So today, we check ourselves, and what do we see? We're going to vote, right? When you check yourself, do you see that you are teaching good stuff or are you teaching bad stuff? Ready? Who's teaching good stuff? Oh, boy. <laughs> Joe, I know you're on the front row and you can't see behind you. It was less than 50%. Who's teaching bad stuff? Okay, so some of you just didn't want to answer. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> Big breath. Big breath. All right. Good, good, good. Good, good, good. This is what Titus says specifically. I get it. This was put in the Bible. It's for us today, January 15th. Here's what he says. But as for you, say your name. But as for you, Mark, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, you may be asking, maybe this isn't why you answered a moment ago. Why would I want to do that? Why in the world would I want to do that? Because I don't know about you, but I want to keep doing this for a very long time. I want to keep having churches that plant churches. I want to keep seeing community groups multiply. I want to see people be discipled that then disciple someone. That is what everything we're going to talk about is today. What we'll see today is actually quite experiential. Even though it starts with teach good doctrine, doctrine is about doing righteousness. 
believing the right things. But here's what I've noticed. I need someone to show me how to do that. Do you guys just naturally know what to do? Maybe you do. Maybe some of you are like just savants, right? You just know what to do. I don't know what to do. I need to be shown what to do. Titus says teach. Don't get hung up on the word teach because it could also imply show. But as for you, show what accords with sound doctrine. All these sorts of things. How about this? Coach what is good doctrine. Anybody ever have a great coach? Just growing up, maybe sports or, or like in your music. You probably didn't call her or him coach, but you had some coaches in your life, didn't you? Would you guys believe that one of my side hustles is coaching? Mm-mm. Same people that didn't raise their hands. <laughs> I coach a cross-country team. Uh-huh, that's right. Do you know what a cross-country team is? We run, and then we run more. And then when they get done with that, we run more. It's easy to coach, honestly. I stand and drink coffee and say, one more. <laughs> Let's do it again. I call my friends. They're like They're out of sight. And I'm like, meh, meh, meh. you know, I'm like doing that. Here's what I found. I got a great team. Some of them have run before. Some of them haven't. They need to be shown what to do. You'd think it'd be easy, wouldn't you? One foot in front of the other, go harder, beat the guy in front of you, right? It's like, it's not, right? So sometimes, guess what I have to do? You ready? I have to go run with them. Now, I don't know if you know this. I'm not as fast as I once was. And in my notes, I wrote, hold for gasps. (laughs) At one time in my life, I could run a lot. I, I could still run a lot. It just takes a lot longer. So... That is a huge surprise to you. But sometimes I have to show them like in different ways in order to communicate with them. Like, this is how you run. This is how you take a turn. This is how you overcome. This is how you get your spikes up to hit the heels of the people in front of you. All these different things. They don't know how to do that. They got to figure out how to do that. So I instruct them. I teach them. I show them how to do it. But guess what they do sometimes when they get out of sight of the coach? They stop and walk. And I know that they're doing that. I know they are. Do you know how I know? Because I was on a cross-country team once. And the way our high school was situated, up on a little hill, everything's up on a hill in Kentucky. It was up on a hill, and we determined once that if we got just so far out of the way and took a left down the road by the stop sign, guess what was waiting down there for us? An Arby's. And on days that we didn't want to do the workout... We would take off like a shot from a gun. We would fly around that corner, and we'd hit that stop sign. We'd go past the Walmart on the right and duck into the Arby's and eat roast beef sandwiches, drink Coke, and milkshakes. And then one of us would say, it's been about the amount of time it should have been for us to be gone. And we'd go next door to the filling station, which you may call a gas station, and they would always have a water hose out back. And we'd hose each other down. And we'd go running back up the hill. Now, I don't know if you know this, but coaches ain't stupid. And uh, one time we did that, and we came running back. We were really overselling it. And we came back. Our shoes were sloshing. Like, we were leaving a trip. looked like Aquaman came up out of the road. And the coach took a look at us, and he said this. I'm not going to do it in the Kentucky accent. He said, boys, it ain't that hot outside. (laughs) I know what you did. And then he said, it hurt us bad when he said this. You're not hurting me, you're hurting yourself. Now, how did he know? Probably he did it himself. Here's how he knew, right? 
he was old and he knew stuff. That's all I got. He was old and he knew stuff. You're going to see that in the book today. He was old and he knew stuff. Now, how do I know that my guys are walking when they get around the corner? Say it with me. Because you're old and you know stuff. Now, side note, when I was writing this illustration, I was like, I wonder how old he was. I was like 15 when that happened. I looked him up. Do you know how old he was? 47. We thought he was ancient. That is essentially what Paul is saying, right? He's 47. I was like, oh, when I looked at his birthday, I was like, no, that can't be right. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you got to be a coach. You got to show it. And when you get older, guess what? You know stuff. But it's not enough to just know it. You got to pass it on. You got to impart it. He is coaching them to live a life of sound doctrine, godliness. Remember, we looked at that last week. Uh, Godliness. Like he is showing them this is how you reflect the grace of God. He's showing them. He's coaching them. And we get caught up with the word teach because what we do is we, we assign, oh, teacher, that must just be me. That just must be him. He's the teacher, the preacher, right? That actually isn't all true. Yes, my, part of my calling is to teach. Doing it right now. But I'm also to coach, to show, and so are you. That's why I said, who's a church planner in the room? And every hand should go up. All of us are. You are a coach, What are you coaching? So, verse 1 again. As for you, Mark, as for you, whatever, as for you, Francis, you are a coach. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to walk through the rest of these verses, and then at the end i got three things we're going to pray through. Is that cool with everybody? It's going to have to be because that's what I'm doing, right? Here's what he says. Older men are to be sober-minded. That means you've got to think straight, older men. You've got to think straight, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, you might be curious as to what counts as an older man. I looked it up. I just turned 45 in November, so it's anything 46 and above. That's, that's an older man. No, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. There's no like ancient text that's like at the ripe old age of seven. No, we don't know. We don't know. But here's what we do know. There's a temptation for men. I'm talking to the men in the room. There's a temptation for men at a certain point in their life to sort of put everything on coast. Man, I've done enough. I've been there and I've done that. I'm going to gear down a bit. Maybe you feel like, hey, I've, I've made enough money. I don't need to make any more. Or maybe you've realized you're not ever going to make that amount of money, so I'm not going to work for it anymore. So what do they do? What would, if Paul was here and he would say, hey, older men, here's what I see when you begin to gear down. It's a result of this. There's this one action that at some point in everyone's life they begin to do. They begin to think about themselves more than anybody else. You become sort of self-absorbed. A funny, funny little goofy thing I read is that men at 40 years old have to make a decision. Do they want to become an expert on World War II history or smoking meats? You know, it's like one of the two, though I think it's a little earlier for some of us, you know, but uh, I, I'm just, just saying right there. But here's the truth. As we get older, we get a little grumpy. 
Who's ever been grumpy, right? Come on, guess what? As you get older, it happens a little bit more. As you get older, you get a little more cynical. You talk to the TV more. It bothers you more. You say, why? Why? You say, those are funny things. But do you know why that's happening? Because we become increasingly more focused on ourselves. The longer we live, the more it becomes about me. And this is what happens. We begin to focus on ourselves. We actually become unhappy. We convince ourselves we're not happy. And what does Paul tell them to do? If you read, I love the message sometimes. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's not a translation. It's just kind of like someone's paraphrase. But sometimes it's really cool. And in this case, it is. It says, uh, guide uh, older men into lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom into healthy faith, love, and endurance. And so what is the takeaway there? It's not on the screen. It's steadfastness. What is Paul saying to Titus to teach as older men in his church? What should we be saying? The the key takeaway is this. Endure. Endure. Keep at it. Men, stick with it. Stay focused. Endure. Don't check out. Endure. It says, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love. Self-controlled, right? Don't only think of your needs. Put the needs of the next generation ahead of yours. Endurance. Be sound in faith. That's, we said this already. Don't be cynical about everything. You may say things like this. Oh, I don't understand these young guys. Man, have you ever said that? Man, I have. There's all sorts of things I don't understand. That's no surprise. But I don't want it to become a cynic. I don't want the first phrase out of my mouth when I look at the next generation to be, they're ruining everything. It's hard for me. I go to basketball games. I'm like, our high school would have never done that. I'm like, who cares? Who cares? The world isn't what it used to be. You're right. What are you doing about it? If you just put it in coast and you're giving up, you see, no matter what you see, you'll always be able to say that phrase. Don't give up. Endure. God's promises endure. They don't ever cease. God resurrected Jesus from the dead. That never gets old. Does it to you. He has a plan and he's pursuing this world. Do you trust him? He didn't give up on you. He's not going to give up on them. In fact, I believe, because I read the Bible and see historically how this works out, he is using the older men, and we'll get to the women in a moment, the older men to show them the way. Why? Because old people know stuff. Just like my ancient coach at a ripe old age of 47 knew that we were sneaking down and eating curly fries. He just knew it. And he knew what to say. There's a great example of this in the Bible, much better than my Arby's story. There's a guy named Caleb in the Old Testament. As a young man, Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent out to spy. Remember that story? And they all got totally, they wimped out, didn't they? But two of them said yes, 10 of them said no. There's no way we can claim victory over these giants. And you know what? They were giants. They were real giants. They said, we can't do it. And so they went with the 10. They didn't do it. But Caleb endured. He was 40 when that happened. 45 years later, we find out what happens to Caleb. Someone tell me, what's 40 plus 45? 
Thank you. That's the, that's the age of this person that is saying this. The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. It's an 85-year-old, guys, who's been living in the forest for 45 years. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me up there to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, and it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. He's 85, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke that word while Israel walked into the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. You think he's enduring? My strength now is as my strength was then. Do you think he had reason to be cynical? For war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill of which the Lord spoke on that day. Now I know in our minds we see Braveheart. This ain't Braveheart. This is an older man saying, I am as strong today as I was then. Why? Because God made a promise. He never breaks a promise. Older men, verse 2, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We have even more reason to persevere, to be steadfast, to endure than Caleb did. We have more of a reason. We have the resurrection of Jesus that ensures that nothing, nothing we do for this kingdom is wasted. That's the promise we stand on. I don't ever want to grow tired of that. I hope I make it to 85. And I hope when I'm 85, I say, we are here to beat back hell and bring heaven down. So you may say, man, I'm charged up. Let's do it. Here are a couple places, men, right now, where you could be the old guy that knows stuff. You ready? I asked Brad the other day, how many, uh, Just we have a booming next gen. So this is just youth group. This is just Thursday night. I said, Brad, he's our, our youth pastor. I said, how many, on average, teenage boys do we have come on a Thursday night? Just teenage boys. You, I, we're not going to guess. I would love to hear what you think the number is, but 50. 50 teenage boys. 56 through 12th graders that come into our warehouse and experience the goodness of God. You know how many old guys we have on average? 11. I don't say that to shame you or guilt you. That's awesome. Praise God for the 11. They are doing God's work. They can't disciple 50. They can't coach 50. We need some strong, enduring, sober-minded men that are old and know stuff. To come down there 
and father the fatherless and help. Now, you say, that's not for me. Cool. Did you know we have two men's groups that meet every week? That, that they all get together. There's some old guys that know stuff. There's some guys getting older that know stuff. And there's some younger guys that need help. You can get involved in that. But the Bible is very clear. Old are to be teaching the young. That's how it works. Now, before you think the women are off the hook, they're not. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent or respectful in behavior, not slanderers or slaves, also addicted to much wine, not to too much wine. It says too much wine, so don't, don't get all excited there. That's like, I don't know. I don't know. Let me look at that. It'll be the only verse you study. They are to teach what is what. What are they to teach? What is what? Good. Now, listen, I'm no dummy. We're not going to define what an old woman is, all right? (laughs) Don't know. No clue. Have no idea. No experience in that area. The main takeaway here, the crux of this passage is the last little part. Teach what is good. This all goes back to showing, coaching, enduring, having experience that isn't just for you. One person I read this, instead of complaining about what is wrong, teach about what is good. We get enough about what is wrong, don't we? You don't have to look very far to figure that out. It's easy. I believe that as we get older, we tend to lose our filter a little bit. Anybody ever experienced that? Maybe personally or with your grandmother or mother or older sister or something? Okay, yeah, I have an older sister. She's only four years older than me. So, Anne, if you're watching, I... You know, I think you fit right into this. (laughs) Just kidding. She doesn't watch. So guess what? It says, as you get older, if we look at this, as you get older, you tend to lose your filter a little bit. Now, some of you all may not think of filter the way I'm thinking of it. So think of it like when you take a picture of yourself and then you filter it. Does anybody ever do that? No, that's natural, right? No, it isn't. Like, you did not put that on your cheek. I get it. But as you get older, that filter begins to break down. What is underneath? That's what comes through. Listen, I'm not a lady, but as I get older, my filter breaks down. That's why I have to really watch myself. I was mentioning this to my wife the other day. Somebody said something to me somewhere. I don't want to go into it. and, And immediately, my mind loaded up three things to say to them to destroy them. Immediately. They were all brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. They would have crushed them. My filter stopped me from saying it. I would have been maybe not eternally embarrassed, but I would have really regretted it. How much longer is my filter going to be in place? You guys tell me, right? If we're still here in 20 years, you're like, hey, Mark, you remember 2023? It happened. It happened. As we get older, our filter gets weaker. I want what comes out of me to be the gospel. I want, this is for the ladies, I want what comes out of them to be the good. Say, what are we supposed to be doing then? What does the Bible say? Not much different than men, really. Not like two, two completely things. It says, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be reviled. Now, does anyone see any controversy in that verse? Now, just keep going, just push through. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, this is teaching male dominance. I knew it. 
It's teaching that, right? That women should just submit to men and so on and so on, right? Okay, can I just ask you this? Can I, you've read the whole Bible, I hope. You've heard uh, it, it in your life. You've seen it experientially. Do you really think, do you really think that Paul is coaching, his, his coaching advice for church planners like us is that the men need to endure and go to war and be awesome and, and run into battle and that the women just need to stay at home and make biscuits for their husband? Do you really think that that is what Paul is teaching? Because it isn't. It isn't that. It does not mean that young women are to never work outside the home. Man, have I heard this verse used as a dagger to destroy churches and people. It's not what it says. There are multiple places in Scripture where we see examples of women working outside of the home, and they're all condoned. They're all a blessing. It does mean this. There is a tendency for young women, just like young men, to be lured away from God-given responsibilities for the promise of fulfillment elsewhere. It's true. This all goes back to last week. We trade in or we give beauty or we assign weight to things that are not of God. We think that what we do makes us who we are. That is a cultural lie. God makes us who we are. God makes us who we are. I am grateful. I am grateful that I had a mother who worked outside of the home. My mom was a school teacher. My dad worked outside the home too, and I'm grateful for it. And we took that very seriously in our life. But we kept everything into perspective. In fact, when, when my son was first born... My wife worked outside the home. For a time period, she didn't. We moved here. Now she works out of the home again. It's not a sin just because we, uh, it's not a sin because we do it. I'm saying it's not a sin. In fact, believe it or not, some of you may be shocked at this. About 12, 10, 11 years ago, for a brief time, like six months, I was a stay at home dad. And it failed miserably. <laughs> it was a disaster. It was a disaster. Say, hey, you skipped over the love their husbands part. I did, because I'm coming back to it. Do you really think that Paul had in mind here that husbands are supposed to be a domineering force over their wife? Boy, oh boy, have I seen that one turned to hurt people. That, that wives are a possession. Do we really think that that is what Paul, the apostle, is teaching? Because that isn't it at all. Here is what I've heard once. Husbands, husbands, listen to this. Husbands, if you want your wife to love and respect you, you must be lovable and respectful. I heard a very wise woman tell that to me once. I like it. Here's how it looks in my house. I can give you my example. I'm, I'm a coach. I'm to show you this, right? Uh, and no, I don't have a little fuse that I'm about to light and blow this church up. This is how it works in my house. This is how older men, older women who are married are to be modeling to younger married men or younger men who want to be married, younger women who want to be married. Where else are they going to get this? You realize it is being modeled to them. How to be a husband, how to be a father. If you look at basically any entertainment, or, or any is not, that's not being fair, uh, much. If you look at much entertainment, the basic mantra for dads is this. Beer-swilling oaf who's never around for his kids and abdicated his role as leader of his house. That's your basic stock male in entertainment. Well, I don't want to be that. One year, sidetrack, one year, I couldn't find a Father's Day card to send to my dad. 
Because all they did was make fun of fathers. So I just took a piece of paper out and said, I love you, and I mailed it to him. He didn't care anyway. I mean, I called him and told him why. But here, anyway, here's how it works in my house. I love my wife. Amen? Amen. Some, okay. As Christ loves the church. Uh-oh. That's probably what Paul meant, don't you think? That is what I'm modeling first to my son. I love your mother, my wife, like Christ loves the church. I'm also modeling that to any young man that I come into contact with. I love my wife the way Christ loves the church. Well, how is that? You ready, men? You ready? This isn't Braveheart. This isn't freedom. Let's do it. Let's take the hill. Here's what it is. I will lay down my life for my family the way Christ laid down his life for his church. I mean that. Jennifer, who is my wife, is modeling this. Because she's modeling something too. She's modeling and showing and coaching this to me, to Billy, who lives in our house with us, and to any young woman or young man that wants to know what a godly, biblical, gospel-centered marriage looks like. Here's what she's doing. She is laying down her will to me. Uh-oh. Really? Yes. Because as I love her, as Christ loves the church, we both love Jesus the way Jesus loves God. And this is how they show it to us. This has absolutely nothing to do with superiority. Absolutely nothing to do with superiority. It has all to do with the gospel. And when done properly, it shouldn't look weird. I love her like Christ loves the church. She loves me. We love God. We model that to others. Me having spiritual headship, as it's sometimes called in doctrine books and theology books, has nothing to do with domination. Nothing to do with it. I love that we have that type of relationship like we do. Submit doesn't mean I'm the boss. I promise you it doesn't mean that. In fact, a Greek speaker would say it like this, that it works better if we think about it as we are arranged underneath things. Less boss, more arrangement. So imagine how silly it would be, how prideful it would be of me to have Jennifer set aside her gifts so that I could do things. That would be ridiculous. I don't know about your house, but my house, the way we do things, it shouldn't be that much different the way you do things. But like our finances and things, I will sometimes negotiate or do something because I'm just a little more confrontational. But uh, once we get into like the day-to-day and paying for bills and doing finance and balancing a checkbook, and I haven't written a check in 20 years. Can you imagine if I said, Jennifer, the man must be the one that does the finances. My dad did it, and so I'm going to do it. We would be wrecked. I can't balance a checkbook. I'm not afraid to admit that. I don't need to. She's laying it down. Jesus modeled this. Do you think, look, look at this. Jesus washed feet. Did you hear me? Feet. Feet. Some of you won't even look at a foot. (laughs) Jesus washed feet. The son of God, the, the, the man who spoke creation into existence, got down on his knees and washed feet. Why? Because God told him to. He submitted his rights. He laid it down. Now, now we don't wash literal feet in our house. I guess I would if I asked, but 
but we model laying down our rights so as to love, so as to have an agreement and a move forward. So, ladies, women, if you're looking for places right now where you can model this, and I'm talking model it better than your Instagram or your TikTok or your Facebook. Those are great places to tell stories and stuff. But I mean like actual one-on-one coaching with people. Uh, I asked Brad, how many teenage girls do we have that come on a Thursday night, just in general? Now, how many guys do we have? Do you remember? 50. Okay. Ladies, you outnumber us down there. 70. I don't think you totally grasp how many teenagers that is on any given Thursday night. What's 70 plus 50? Is Jennifer in here to tell me the answer? (laughs) 120 teenagers. 70 of them are young ladies. Do you think they just have it all figured out? Survey says no. You know how many ladies are helping us disciple and model to those 70 teenage girls? 10. Guys, we're a church. We're a big church. We're a big church. 10. Praise God for the 10. Praise God. I am so excited when I see that 10. We need more. Because they're being discipled and modeled every minute of every day, everywhere they go. If that's not your speed, we have four women's CGs that meet every week. It says, likewise, I got, I got to move here. Likewise, here's the kicker. That means in general, the spirit of everything we just said applies to everybody. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Amen. Proverbs 25 says, a man without self-control is like a city whose walls have broken through. You guys ever seen a young man with no self-control or a young woman with no self-control? That's exactly what it looks like. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Two more verses to go. Bond servants, excuse me, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So I want to point out very quickly, because I know there's a lot of Bible translations out there. Sometimes we read bond servants as what word? Slave. Scripture condemns. Let me be very clear. I'm talking crystal clear. Scripture 100% condemns slavery. At every level, at every level, including and especially American antebellum slavery, that type. Obviously, it does not condemn something that occurred 1,800 years after the Bible. It's saying it condemns that type. And if you need references, it says humans are not to be taken and sold, Exodus 21. Humans are not to be abused, Exodus 21. Fugitive slaves are not to be returned as property. That's in Deuteronomy. This word, bondservant slave, is not the same as the type of slavery we saw in the 1800s in America that was a tragedy and honestly horrific and a black mark on the history of America. It's not that. It actually comes back to the thing we've already been talking about, grace and love and how we act as a reflection of that in our life. Dr. Evans, Tony Evans says this, Paul's principles for bond servants ought to be applied by believers in their workplaces. Like, come on, Dr. Evans. 
When employers think of their Christian employees, really think here. Uh, you, you, you probably can even maybe hear his voice. <laughs> they ought to consider them to be well-pleasing, not given to talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness. Whew, I tell you, if we're going to check ourselves, that might be the thing that wrecks us the most. Am I worshiping God at work? Is that what my coworkers would say about me? Is that what my boss would say about me? People uh, hear that and they think it means you got to wear Christian clothes at work. You got to have the right bumper sticker on your car. That, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to get my testimony out there. I'm going to bring up the chosen a whole lot. I'm going to really show them how good of a Christian I am. But what Paul is saying, maybe in the modern church even, is are you a blessing to your employer because you're a Christian? Are you or aren't you? So, long flight today. Let's land the plane, all right? Worship team, come on up. Here's what we're going to do. I got three things I want us to pray through at the end. I think they'll be on the screen. The first one is this. These behaviors, everything in here is things we do. Not just know, but we do. These behaviors are all things that can be shown. We check ourselves. Is this something we show? The guy I read on this, uh, Tim Chester, he said, people may not like it when we talk about self-control and submission, but they find it attractive when we live it. Unbelievers who are repelled by the Christian teaching on headship, which is what we talked about a moment ago, within marriage are attracted, though, by the marriages that they see. Unbelievers who find Christian morality restrictive are attracted by the good lives of the Christians they know. So when was the last time you were generous? When was the last time you you told your spouse you loved her or him? When was the last time you you intentionally said, I'm going to bless the person that employs me, even if he's a jerk? I'm going to do that. That's the first thing we're going to pray through. Second one, God knows that your everyday life matters. Do you know that? Here's what I mean. In today's passage, there was no grand gestures. Yeah, 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 we had uh, Caleb, but that, that wasn't what we preached on, right? That's a grand gesture. That's a, that's a William Wallace moment. I get that. But God knows that what you do every single day matters. God knows that those 21 people that come on Thursday night to disciple and show and lead those 120 uh, uh, teenagers, that's everyday life. That matters. That matters. God knows that the people that are in our preschool right now and upstairs right now and our middle school right now and in here right now and on this stage and in those seats, the things you do every single day matters because you're coaching and showing everyone that is around you. But do you know that it matters? Last one. Then we're going to sing and pray. All of these behaviors flow from the gospel. Is that true for you? The Holy Spirit didn't inspire Paul to write a to-do list. I say, I wish he did. Be easier. But they flow from the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, he inspired Paul to coach him, to coach Titus. This is how you live. Is that how you're living? So as we're praising and and worshiping God here in a moment, I, I ask you to take those things and really check yourself.